Good morning. Good morning. Uh, I see that the clock has been fixed, which means I can't preach as long as I want to. Uh, thank you for that, Ronnie. <laughs> uh, no, he does a great job. He's, he's always uh, on top of uh, making sure our clock is right and uh, making sure we get out of here on time, I guess. And we are thankful uh, for that. Um, God has blessed us with a, a beautiful Lord's Day, and uh, it's a beautiful day whenever we can gather together with the saints, no matter what it is or what it's like outside. I pray and I hope that my voice can uh, cooperate this morning, but as you probably noticed, it is pollen season, uh, and we're all, I hear uh, several people dealing with that this morning, and um, so we'll do the best that we can. But we are going to begin this morning in 1 John chapter 4, that very uh, short verse that we just read, 1 John 4 and verse 19. And of course, we've been in 1 John 4 for several weeks now, for a few weeks anyway, and thinking about the love of God. That God is love, and that He demonstrates His love um, for us through giving us the Savior, and that His love is perfected in us as we love God and we love others. That perfect love casts out fear so that we can stand with confidence before Him on the day of judgment, knowing that we abide in His love and that He abides in us. And then as our passage this morning says in 1 John 4 and verse 19, quite simply, we love because He first loved us. And that somewhat echoes something John had said a little bit earlier in the chapter in verse 11, saying that if God loved us, so if God so loved us, we ought to love one another. You know, God's love, as I just talked about a few moments ago, reading from Romans chapter 5, it gives us the hope for our salvation. It gives us the hope for our reconciliation that we might be cleansed and that we might stand before His throne one day and know that we're going to be welcomed into the eternal kingdom. But God's love doesn't just give us hope for salvation. It doesn't, excuse me, just give us the courage to face the judgment. But it gives us the motivation to love as well. And that love, both God's love for us and the love we are to show, it's, it's really seen throughout the New Testament. Uh, we might probably say it's throughout the Old Testament as well, but uh, especially in the New Testament, we see that love mentioned, portrayed, commanded, exemplified throughout. And so this morning, we're going to, step away from, from 1 John. We're going to keep that verse in 1 John 4 and 19 in, in our minds, but we're going to step away to another passage to think about this morning, uh, borrowing some ideas from an article I had the privilege to read a few weeks ago. And we're going to go to Galatians chapter 2. In verse 20, what I think for many will be a familiar passage, where Paul says this, he says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave Himself 
for me. I, I have to be careful with that passage. I don't start singing the song that is taken straight from that passage. But it, it, it is. It's such a simple yet beautiful statement. And yet even in simplicity, I think there's so much that we can learn from. And we can even learn about God's love with which He loved us in that passage. And we can learn how we're encouraged to love as well from that passage. Three things to think about this morning as we think about Galatians 2 and verse 20 and how God loved us and how that motivates us to love. First of all, Galatians 2 and verse 20 identifies the love of God. Simple as that. The life that I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me. He loved me. It, 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 that's what Paul says. He loved me. And what did He do because of His love? Gave Himself for me. That's a special love. That is a love that, frankly, I could preach on every single Sunday and I'd be perfectly happy. I know there are other things we have to preach on, but... You know, I always want to bring it back, if I can, to the love of God for us. It is a, a wonderful love. It's a divine love. It says in 1 John 4 and verse 9 that, 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 that the giving of Jesus, His sending His Son to die on the cross, He says that is God's love made manifest to us. And if you're not sure what that means, we don't really talk like that. We don't talk about things being made manifest. That means that was how God showed His love to us. That's how He made it visible, how we could see it, that He gave Jesus Christ. And again, that's John 3.16. Is it not for God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son? <coughs> Excuse me. tells us not only... That God loves us. This is the extent to which He was willing to go. This is what He was willing to do because He loved us. He gave His only begotten, His unique Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. But even then, even with that thought in mind, we know this, that God's love is immeasurable. You really can't put a, you, you, you really can't put a, 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 a limit on it. You really can't say, okay, God's love goes this far and then it doesn't go any further. God's love is infinite. God's love is, is, is eternal. Let's go back to the Psalms for just a moment this morning. The 103rd Psalm in particular. Psalm 103. We're going to look at a couple of uh, sections from that psalm to talk about, talk about the, the measure of God's love, if you will, though it cannot be truly measured and a limit placed on it. But listen to what David says. This is a psalm of David. It says at the beginning of, uh, of this psalm. Going down to verse 11, listen to what he says. He says, For as the heavens are for as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions 
from us as a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. Now skip down just a little bit to verse 17. But the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him and his righteousness uh, to children's children, to those who keep his covenant and remember to do his commandments. Now, my Bible, the ESV says steadfast love. Yours might say something different. It might say mercy. It might say kindness or loving kindness. That's because there's a, there's a Hebrew word in there that is notoriously difficult to translate. But as best as I can tell, the word is, is hesed. And I know we've talked about that in various settings before, but it's a hard word to translate. We're not 100% sure. Well, we know what it means, but we just can't translate it into one word. Best I can tell, it includes really all of those things. It includes mercy and kindness and, and love. So all of these things kind of group together into one idea. We in English, I guess, don't really have a single word. I guess in Hebrew they did. And so we have various different translations, but they all come back to that same idea or to these, these characteristics of love, mercy, kindness. And what I think is clear is what David says about the extent of these things, of God's steadfast love, of God's mercy, of his loving kindness. David says that it is as high as the heavens are above the earth. And he says it's from everlasting to everlasting. There is no limit to the love of God. He loves all. He loves all eternally. That's why He wants us all to be saved. He wants us all to come to the knowledge of the truth because He loves us all. There is no limit to it. And it is an unchanging love. Some people... Some people like to say that God is different between the Old Testament and the New Testament. And that just isn't true. The covenants may, may be different. The way God interacts with man may be different. But God is the same. Numbers 23 and verse 19. <coughs> excuse me. God is not man that He should lie. Or a son of man that he should change his mind. Malachi 3 and verse 6, he said, I, the Lord, do not change. James 1 and verse 17, there is no variation or shadow due to change with God. God does not change. And because God does not change, His love does not change. It is immeasurable it is uh, divine and it is unchanging but let's let's move on go back to our passage in Galatians chapter 2 not only does it identify the love of God and how he showed that love by by giving Christ and Christ dying for us but it also individualizes God's love look at that passage in Galatians 2 and verse 20 I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. 
And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave Himself for me. How many personal pronouns do you find in that passage? I made it easy for you. If you can see the screen, I underlined them for you. There are seven personal pronouns, first person personal pronouns in that passage. Now listen, listen. Christ died for the world. Okay, John 3 and verse 16, for God so loved the world. We were just talking about that this morning. In, in, in John chapter 1, the immerser, when he saw Jesus coming, he said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The, the beloved disciple writing in his first letter, 1 John chapter 2 and verse 2 said that Jesus is the propitiation for our sins, but not for ours alone, but the sins of the whole world. Yes, Christ died for everybody. That doesn't mean that all people are going to be saved. I wish it did. It doesn't mean that all will be saved, but that all can be saved if they would make the choice that we talked about this morning to turn to Jesus and have their sins forgiven. Christ died for the church as a whole. Acts 20 and verse 28, Paul's talking to the Ephesian elders. He says that Christ purchased the church with His blood. Ephesians 5 and verse 25, the church is the bride of Christ and He gave Himself for her. So yes, Christ died for the church. But in our passage, in Galatians 2, Paul makes it very personal. He said, Christ died for me. Christ died for me. We should should be able to say that. Yes, we love because He first loved us. I love because He first loved me. It is very personal. It's universal as well, but it's also personal. And it's personal in the sense that it involves me in the love of God. The life that I now live, I live by faith. You see, it changes me. It makes a difference in my life. That, that's, that's what the gospel is, is, is meant to do. It's meant to, yes, save us. But what did, what did Paul say in 2 Corinthians? I think it's 5.17. Any man who is in Christ, he is what? A new creation. He's not the same man He was before. He tells the Ephesians, put off the old man, put on the new Romans 6 and verse 4. Rise to walk in newness of life. Be changed. The life that I now live, I live by faith. What does that mean for me? Well, it means I don't love the world. And when I say I don't love the world, I don't, I don't mean that I don't love the people in the world, the lost that, that still need the salvation. It means I don't love the things of the world. Turn over to 1 John chapter 2 
may even be on the same opening as 1 John 4 in, in your Bible. But listen to what John says. He says, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. And again, remember, he's not talking about people. Right? We're to love all people in the world. He's talking about this present reality. He's talking about this, this age that we live in. This, this part of our existence, not to love it. Not to love it to the point that we don't think about those things that are eternal. Verse 16, for all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. And there are many things in this world that Satan will make look attractive to us. You know, when I read Genesis chapter 3, I get the impression... And, and this is, this is, again, this is my impression. This is my understanding. I get the impression that prior to that serpent talking to Eve about that fruit on the forbidden tree, they were perfectly content to leave that tree alone. It wasn't until the thought was put into their mind that they might be missing something that they said, oh yeah, yeah, we might want to eat from that tree, even though God said not to. I think about David, 2 Samuel 11. You know Uriah the Hittite was one of David's best soldiers. If you go over to 2 Samuel 23, he's there listed among David's mighty men. But you know, I don't get the impression, even though David was not always the most moral person in the world, he was a man after God's own heart, but he made his own mistakes, yes. But I don't get the impression that David made it a habit of taking his best soldiers' wives into his bed. But on that day in 2 Samuel 11, he didn't resist that temptation. You know, this world is full of things that will draw us away from God. Things that Satan will use whenever he can to get us to act in a way that's contrary to God's will. John summarizes everything as being the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, or the pride of life. If it's against the will of God, it can be summed up into one of those three categories. Adam and Eve succumbed to all three. They saw that the tree was good for food, lust of the flesh. They saw that it was pleasant to the eyes. That one I think is obvious, lust of the eyes. And they saw that it can make one wise. That's the pride. David, he saw Bathsheba, lust of the eyes. He had desire for her, lust of the flesh. And he used his position as king to get what he wanted and then to try to cover it up. That's the pride. But all that's in this world is passing away along with its desire. It's just temporary. It's not going to be here forever. We have to focus on what's going to be here forever. 
What's eternal? Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasure in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in to steal. Matthew 6, 19 and 20. 2 Corinthians 4, 17 and 18. For this light momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient. It means temporary. But the things that are unseen are eternal. What are we focused on? I know we talked about that several weeks ago. What are we focused on? The things of this world? I mean, it's easy to do. That stuff's right in front of us every day. Satan's just putting it out there, parading it in front of us every day, saying, look at this. Isn't this nice? Wouldn't you like to have this? What are we focusing on? Are we focusing on the things of this world? Or are we focusing on the things that are eternal? The things that will last? The things that will not be destroyed? The things that will not separate us from God. Don't love the world or the things in the world. Love God and the things that are of Him. And along those lines, seek first God's kingdom. Matthew 6 and verse 33, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. It's the first part of His love being perfected in us. We talked about it a few weeks ago. Never fail to put God first in anything that we do. And if we do that, if we do that, the rest of it's going to fall into place as it should. Love the brethren. That was one of the commands of Jesus. One of the, really one of the last commands He gave His apostles before He went to the cross. Love one another. By this, all people will know that you're My disciples if you have love for one another. If God so loved us, brethren, we ought to love one another. And then do the work. Of the kingdom. Take a look real quick at Ephesians chapter 2. Some of you know that this is a, a favorite passage of mine, Ephesians chapter 2. It's another one of those that is a, is a short, concise account of God's plan to redeem us. We were dead in our trespasses and sins. But God, in His great love for us, made us alive together in Christ. We are saved by grace when we respond to that gift in obedient faith. But then look at verse 10. Having been saved, we're expected to do something. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in then, good works do not save. We know that to be true. It says it right there in the, the previous passage. We, our salvation is not a result of works so that no man may boast. Good works do not save, but the saved do good works. Don't let Satan fool you, fool you into thinking that once you're saved, there's nothing left for you to do. Don't let Satan fool you into thinking that after you've put in a certain number of years of service that there's nothing more for you to do. 
Don't let Satan fool you into thinking there's no work to be done. God loved us. God saved us. And God gave us something to do. And whatever God has given us to do, Ecclesiastes 9 and verse 10, do it with all your might. Do it to the best of your ability. Do all that you can to glorify God. We love because He first loved us. I know I'll never be worthy of God's love because I've sinned. I, I, I mess up every day. And I, I know that I'm not the only one. I'm not, I'm not trying to beat myself up. I'm not trying to uh, you know, prostrate myself before you or anything like that. We all sin and fall short of God's glory. We'll never be perfect. We'll never be worthy. But you know, He never asked us to be. He loved us even when we were at our most unworthy. Romans 5 and verse 8. And because He loves me, I'm going to love too. I'm going to love Him. Being thankful for all that He's done for me. Being thankful for Him being the definition of love. I'm going to love my brethren. People that He has given me. My brothers and sisters. My family in Christ. And I'm going to love everybody. Because that's what God does. He loves those even that don't love Him in return. He loves those that would spit in His face if they could. We love all people because God loved us even when we didn't deserve it. So if we failed to love as God expects us to, now is the time to repent. Now is the time to change. Now is the time to love like He wants us to. And we're going to sing a song of encouragement this morning. And if that's what you need, then come. Come and receive prayers. Come and receive encouragement. Let us love one another in that way as well. If you need that this morning, come. And do that now while we stand and we sing together.